I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Hello, it's Robert here, and we're at the Dumpty Dum Oxford meetup here at the St. Aldate's Tavern. And I'm also here with... Maria. Alison. Missy. And... Nula. And uh, a secret man in the background who's not willing to divulge his identity. (laughs) And we are going to do our Dumpty Dum. Dumpty 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 Dum Dumpty Dumpty Dum Dum Dumpty 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 Dum Dumpty Diddly Dum Dumpty Diddly Dumpty Diddly Dumpty Diddly Dum Dumpty 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 Dum Dumpty Diddly Dum They'll never play that. This episode of Dumpty Dum Extra features a friend of the show who's one of Britain's most recognisable voices. Now, we've done almost 200 of these shows now, and doing these takes uh, takes a little bit of time and, and definitely takes some money. In future, in-depth actors' interviews will be paid for content. Um, if you'd like to have access to exclusive Dum Dum content, sign up to, to Dum Dum via patreon.com, which is p-a-t-e-r-o-n.com, so you can have access to content like this. Now, this show isn't isn't gated um but serves as an example of the kind of content that we will be serving up to you now on with the show tim um you're doing the media rounds at the moment um if it's not sat you know if you're not sat on the bbc you're on some illustrious podcast you've been written about in in august uh tomes in the british press um why are we getting (laughs) so much of Tim Bentinck other than just being David Archer on The Archers well Roy because I've written a book which is called Being David Archer and Other Unusual Ways of Earning a Living and it came out on the 5th of October and we had a massive book launch um, on the 10th of October a couple of days ago um, with celebs we had we had your Julians we had Julian Fellows Julian Clary had Jane Asher we had uh, Radio 4's uh, 4 Extras, Arthur Smith, who was at university with me. Um, we nearly had Stephen Fry, but he was at the Buck- he was at Buckingham Palace doing mental health. <laughs> um, we nearly had um, Nigel Planer, but he had a cold, because um, he was going to come, because I've been working with him recently. And um, uh, we had um, his illustrious tallness from the, the, uh, from the Archers, 
Simon Williams, Sam Williams, um, who actually was quoted as saying, The Archers, Simon Williams, which I thought was a bit steep. He's only been in it half a minute. Mind you, he writes a, a, a column in the, um, is it the Telegraph or the Times. And he's a very good writer. Um, so uh, hats off to him. No, he's lovely. Um, it was it was a great time. And then we went down, I went down to Chichester yesterday. Um, uh, yesterday? Day before yesterday? Day before yesterday. Um, to the it's festival. Media blur. Thousand people in the in the town hall there, and then last night I went up to Salford, got up this morning, and did me five minutes on um, BBC Breakfast, which was all right. But it was a shame because they were running a bit late, um, and uh, so only got about five minutes. But Alison Steadman was there, which was weird because I'm doing a, a radio play with her. Um, so the day before we'd been doing the same radio play, and suddenly there we both were up in Salford. Anyway, the point being that I'm selling this uh, book, which is an autobiography. It's all about the Archers. And um, there's, I've got, there's, there's, it's sort of divided up into my life and the archers. So you can just read the archers bit, but um, you'd be denying yourself half the book, which would be a shame because the rest of it's quite fun. There she is. <laughs> hey, look at that, talking to one of the tutors. Oh, yeah. That's a good sign, isn't it? They're getting on very well. <laughs> I haven't seen her laugh like that for ages. <laughs> She's fitting in so much better this time, isn't she? Mm. What the... What the hell does he think he's doing? David... What uh, the... Uh, don't, don't get out. What, can't you see what the... Uh, they're kissing. What, he's kissing her? Well, it's Pip as much as him. Oh. Shut the door. Look, they've stopped. I'm going to wipe the smirk off his... But what if it's Jude? Oh, don't be ridiculous. Jude's a student. That's got to be a lecturer. You can't be sure. Of course you can be sure. I think Britain has a really peculiar relationship with you. Um, peculiar in, in a touching way, not peculiar in, in, in an odd way. Um, the very fact that you're on this uh, blockbuster soap, sir, <laughs> uh, means, uh, but we can't see you, means that everybody has their own vision of... Uh, of Tim Bentick, forward slash David Archer, don't they? Yeah. And, you know, you're with people at the at, when they're at the most intimate, mundane and vulnerable moments because, you know, we can travel around. We travel around with radio. Mm. So um, I'm some, what I want to do today is to try and uncover some bits of that Tim Bentick which uh, Britain doesn't know. Um, tell us about being the Ribena boy in 1962. Hmm. Um, my father made TV commercials. He worked for J. Walter Thompson, and he was the man behind the Nimble Balloons and behind um, the Mr. Kipling Cakes. He invented the line, Mr. Kipling makes exceedingly good cakes, and cast James Hayter to do it. And um, he was top of his top of his game. And one of his accounts was Ribena, and he needed a boy to... Um, drink it because uh, it was a health drink at that time. To <laughs> 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 imagine all the black currants, she says. The black currants. Um, yeah, imagine the amount of sugar. And so many people have said, uh, "How are your teeth, mate?" You know, after all those years. No, so I was the Ribena boy. Early to bed, early to rise makes a man. You just can't grow up fast enough, can you? Mm. Growing up, Ribena. You've always loved Ribena, and it does you so much good. 
We've known that since we read about all the vitamin C in black currants. That's what helps to keep you so sturdy and fit. Ribena is made from fresh black currants. It's wonderful to see you enjoying something that does you as much good as Ribena. And, um, I, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it was nepotism. My father cast his son and um, I had to, had to ride a bicycle through this water splash and they, they put these corduroy trousers on me and after about the sixth time I'd been through because I kept saying, keep your eyes open, Timothy, keep your eyes open. And I couldn't keep my eyes open because they're getting water in it as the water splash came past. And I had the Norfolk Fire Brigade there with hoses simulating rain. And um, at one point I put my leg over to do the next riding my bike towards it and the whole crotch of <laughs> this trousers ripped. And I, aged 10, was terrified that my crotch was going to be seen by, you know, by the camera. When we drove home, we had a case of, uh, a case of Ribena in the boot. It lasted for about a year. It was great. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So that was payment, was it? No, I got 35 quid. I'm licensed to import medication from across the EU, right? Mostly Greece. What I do is I repackage the drugs under my own brand, and then I sell those drugs on in the UK. To pharmacy wholesalers like Wanda Charlton. I'm not prepared to discuss my business contacts. Right. I'll tell you what we believe you're doing. Nicholson stuffed 12 feet of toilet tissue into his throat. Yes, and he stabbed those people, not me. But who put the knife in his hand? All right. So you obviously had um, a close relationship with your father growing up. Yeah. Um, descri- describe um, your, your early years, sir. Blimey, that's a that's a big question, Roy. <laughs> where where were you born? Let let's start there. I was born on a on a sheep station in Tasmania because my father, mm. after the war, had been working for the BBC and he was worried that there was going to be a nuclear war with Russia, and so he worked out that the place that was going to be the last place to get nuclear fallout was Tasmania. So he upped and left and uh, took his whole family, his two daughters, um, to Tasmania. Um, with the idea of um, you know becoming a, a, a ranch owner, a landowner, but he made a mistake with the marriage settlement that my mother had from her Yorkshire parents. My mum was from Yorkshire, and uh, her dad was a self-made man, and um, he had quite he had a bit of money, and uh, he'd put this marriage settlement by for uh, for his daughter when she got married. But um, so Pa reckoned he had this money to be able to buy somewhere in Tasmania. So he went out what's called, what's called a jackaroo. A jackaroo is like mm-hmm. a farmhand, but he's like a trainee farmhand. He's, you get trained up to become a farm manager. And um, his idea was to then buy a farm. But he hadn't read the small print of, of his father-in-law's um, gift to his daughter, which said it, she could, he could only buy somewhere within the United Kingdom. So, yeah. Uh, I was born, and about two years after that, we, they packed up and uh, and came back home again. Um, so then we and then we found a house in um, little. Do you remember your? Do you have no, any memory of your? No, none at all. But we no. got we got two photograph albums of black and white photographs that my mum took with a, a brownie box camera, mm-hmm. and so and and memories, my sisters and father's stories. So the mixture of the black and white photographs and the stories were made it live and and when I finally got back there in my 40s when I made a TV commercial for Australian Tourist Board and I went back to Tassie I flew over and uh, you know found the, the the place of my birth and um it was very emotional it you know because there was this place which I knew so well from these black and white photographs and there it all was in color mm-hmm. hadn't changed a bit 
And the people were very accommodating, and they said, you know, make yourself at home, mate. Just have a look around. You're born here. And um, so I did, and I went and swam in in the uh, in the place called Broadwater, which is a, a kind of a little creek. Dad, face it! I'm not a child anymore! I'm allowed to think for myself! Well, then why can't you start behaving like a responsible adult instead of a... Spoiled and selfish ten-year-old. No, you cannot say that to me. I can't, because it's perfectly true. Dad, no, stop it, that's enough. Pip. No, leave me alone. You're not being fair and I'm not going to stand here and listen to this. Pip, don't you dare walk away from me. Pip! Just leave me alone. Pip, wait, come back here. No, just go away, I'm not speaking to you. Where do you think you're going? Out of here, away from you. Pip, don't you dare. Pip! (laughs) How can he say that to me? It's just so unfair. Oh my! Pip! Pip! We have to go back, Tim, and talk about your name. Um, Your family has somewhat of an illustrious past. I know we've talked about it before on Dum Dee Dum, but... wouldn't wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't say. Uh, please tell us um, how uh, you've come by this un- most unBritish sounding of surnames. Bentink. Mm. Bentink is a is a Dutch name. Uh, the 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 ending i n c k is quite. It's it's very Dutch. Schimmelpenik and all sorts of things. It's um it's Dutch, and that's why people get confused and they look at it and they say Bentink because they can't well, can't cope with that extra c. Mm. Um. <coughs> Um, yeah, so my my ancestor Hans Willem Bentinck, he came over with William of Orange in 1689 for the Glorious Revolution. He was his most trusted advisor and right-hand man. Um, and uh, there were two main branches of that family, one from his first marriage, Hans Willem's first marriage, um, which became, which they married very well and became the Duke of, well, he, he, was, he was the first Earl of Portland and his son was created Duke of Portland and then they went on to marry um, quite well, and um, ended up with property in in Northamptonshire, mm-hmm. and uh, in Scotland, and Welbeck Abbey, and um, property in London, um, and th- then his his second marriage was um, us, which were the Counts Bentinck, and so basically when the first um, when the dukedom died out and all of that line died out it went all the way back to 1689 going past the dukedom back to the earldom father who you know was never an earl um, at the age of the early 70s he suddenly became the earl of Portland my lords this is not only my maiden speech it is effectively the first of my life and I don't want it merely to add to the five billion words generated in connection with Rio, which resulted in nothing very much happening. So at the end of the next thousand words, I shall ask your lordships if we can manage to make something happen here, in this house. And I hope the house will forgive a beginner's temerity. My lords, our attitude to anything depends upon how we perceive it. And it is precisely our perception of our environmental predicament that is so confused that it inhibits response. We know that if civilization and population are allowed to continue unmodified, 
unmodified on their present expansionist courses, they will cause an ecological catastrophe which will destroy that civilization and most of our descendants. And yet we do nothing. Now, why is this? The reason why my father wanted to prove the title and to take to take his seat in the House of Lords because was because he was an environmentalist before the word was really invented and he foresaw global warming um, and indeed global starvation, which is probably still to come. Um, and everyone thought he was an eccentric and he's now been proved right. And he got up in Trafalgar Square and made a speech to say so. And when he got his title, he got up and made a speech in the House of Lords. Um, and he stood up and he said, I urge my noble lords to keep their green hats on with every decision that they make, because up until now, mankind had survived by putting their best interests first. And now he said, we have not we've got to abandon that and put the planet's best interest first in order for us to survive. And it's not about saving the planet. The planet's going to be fine without humanity. It's about saving us. Once the planet's got rid of us, the planet will survive perfectly well by itself. So the arrogance of the idea that we have any control over saving the planet is completely ridiculous. Anyway, so that's what he said, and that's what he was into, and that's why he wanted to prove it, and not for any wealth or riches, because we didn't get any. Um, but he wanted to save the world, really. Well, save mankind. That was that was his primary intention. So it was, you know, it was honourable and noble. And then he died, poor bugger, and got um, got cancer and died. And so I ended up, you know, jobbing actor Tim, um, having to cope with the idea that I was now the Earl of Portland, which didn't sit very easy with me because um, everybody then thinks that you're rich and you're not a proper actor. And that was a terrible fear that I had that pe- that's what people would think that they because people do they put you what, in boxes. What year was that, Tim? What year did your father pass he, away? It was ninety-seven. He died, and uh, yeah, so I had a seat in the House of Lords for three years, which was you know remarkable, really. And it's very good research for an actor to be able to kind of find all things things like that out. Uh, but I didn't speak, and I kept my head down, kept quiet about it because I didn't want um, you know people's preconceptions because you do. So he says he's the Earl of Portland. You imagine, don't you, that he's you know, got a big house and he drives a Rolls and he doesn't need the money. And that's not me. <laughs> so you said you were in the House of Lords for three years. Was that before Tony Blair got rid of hereditary peers then? Yeah, and I knew that, the reason yeah, and I knew that that was going to happen as well. Because, I mean, the, you know, if, if, if it had been different and I was going to be there for the rest of my life, then I, might, I would have had to have made a decision. Um, but I knew that we were going to be thrown out, so there was no decision to be made. Um, I mean, apart from anything else, I wouldn't. Have, you know, I would have made the decision to, to to not, because I'm not a politician, and I, you know, it's not my bag. It's not. You know, it's nothing to do with me. Something doesn't define me. It's not me. Um, and I am who I am, and I'm not. You know, this this thing where it's oh, you're the Earl of Portland. I still go. No. <laughs> <laughs> not really. But what does your passport say? Well, it, I had to say the Earl of Portland because when I when I joined, um, when uh, when I went into the House of Lords, they said, "Well, we need to change your passport." So they they got hold of it and they changed it and put Earl of Portland on it. And I can't change it back now. Literally, I've just sent it off um, to renew it. And mm-hmm. um, and I, I I went. I was I was thinking because it's 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 a real hassle. And it's completely pointless, but they they won't change it now because there's no there isn't you know if you change of name well you have to do it by deed poll because they put mm-hmm. that, because you know what the passport office is like they get it everything wrong they put in the surname Earl of Portland right they've put my surname as Earl of Portland three words 
Uh-huh. And then there's another page which says the holder of this passport is the Right Honourable Timothy Charles Robert Noel Bentinck, Earl of Portland. Every time I go through boarding, <laughs> getting onto an easy jet flight, you know, I have to point that out to them. And I can't change it because I would have to go and change it by deed poll because they say that that's my surname. And that happened when I was in the House of Lords. So it's, it's, it's really very silly. So are you not allowed, like, to walk sheep on, like, January the 1st, 3, 4? No, no, there, must, no. there must be something. No. There must be something. No, I've got a, I've got a frigate, mate. You know, that's about it. Really. <laughs> 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 I've got HMS, right. HMS Portland's mine. Um, you know, they do call it, they say, it's your ship, my lord. <laughs> <laughs> Still need to beat yourself up over one little kiss. I, I don't want to break my marriage up. Well, neither do I. What did you take me for? Oh, but... Good heavens, nothing was further from my mind. But you kissed me. That doesn't mean you have to ditch your wife and children. You can't but... deny there's still a spark between us. But I'm married. Don't worry. No strings, no commitment. We just enjoy ourselves a little. Make up for lost time. No. I'm sorry, there's no way I can do that. Why not? I love Ruth. I'm, um, I'm sorry, Sophie, I'm sorry. I think I'd, um, I think I'd better go. Alright, so you've, um, you've acted, you're on set. Yeah, your crotch has been ripped out of these trousers. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's it's nineteen sixty two. Is that where you decided? Is that where you got the acting bug? Was it see, seeing all the all the the arc lights and you know the direct? Yeah, it wasn't action. Yeah, it wasn't just that advert. It was because because after my mum died, my mum died when I was thirteen, and so um, when in the holidays, I used to have to go with my father when he was working because they couldn't leave me at home. Mm-hmm. So I'd I'd be on I'd be on 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 film sets with him a lot, or at work with him in London. And um, so I was brought up on a film set. And because you're the producer's son and they know that your mother's died, they're all really nice to you. So I associated people being nice to me with the film set. And so now when I'm on a film set, I I feel very at home. I literally, I feel like I'm at home. And that's my favourite, favourite place of all. I mean, you know, we do the arches and do theatre and things like that. but And all the voice stuff and you do lots of stuff in front of a microphone. But actually, the, the moment I arrive on a film set, and they say, "Here's your, you know, here's your trailer." And you go and sit down in there, and you go into makeup, and you go and get your costume on, and go in and start filming. That's where I'm. I think this is this is my favourite. <laughs> this is my favourite thing. Yeah. And and your childhood was was spent in in Norfolk, was it? No. No, no, no. We lived in we lived let's say up until 1976. Till I was 21, we lived in in Potland in. Uh, just outside Berkhamsted in Hertfordshire, mm-hmm. so that's where that's where I spent my time. And um, I used to get farmed up to Norfolk. We had these very good friends up there. I used to go and stay with them for a bit, you know, but um, not all the time at all. Hiya. Oh, hello. What are you doing here? Been driven out by your mum. What? Told to go and get on with some work. I'm in the way. Oh, don't be daft. She insists that she'll clear the breakfast things and put the washing in. Yeah, be grateful. And clean the porridge out of Josh's hair and take it to school. She makes me feel totally redundant. Oh, come on. Before Mum and Dad moved back in, it was always a frantic rush in the mornings. I know. Half the time the washing didn't get done or Pip was late. It wasn't that bad. 
That's what we call pretty well. Well, we got by. Better than that. I thought I'd just got the balance right. Managing the house and the kids while still pulling me weight on the farm. Yeah, it's nice having someone do the boring bits, though, isn't it? Well, I don't think the kids are boring. No, washing up is, though, isn't it? I'm starting to feel like the lodger. Oh, come on. Like I have to be on my best behaviour all the time. Being oversensitive. <laughs> Take, take us to the, the late 70s. Um, tell us about um, university. Tell us about this burgeoning, um, this desire to want to, like, to tread the boards. Well, I, I went to, when I was, I'd done um, modern languages at school, French, German and English. And when I finished, I figured I didn't want to take that any further because I could speak the languages quite well and that, I didn't want to be an academic. And uh, and I thought, what am I going to do in my life? And I didn't know. And I thought it's going to be in the arts. It's not going to be in the sciences. So I thought I'd better learn something about art. So I did history of art at the university. So let me, let me just jump in quickly. Why didn't you want to be an academic? Because um, it's not as if you, you're not smart. Well, I just didn't. You know, I mean, it's not my place. I mean, the whole the idea of being an academic meant the, I would have to be in an institution. And I'll tell you, if you've been five years in Harrow, you know, uh, you know, you never want to. I don't know how anybody can carry on being. I mean, I've got friends who carried on being, you know, in institutions, but um, I felt quite institutionalised enough after five years. I was, you know, the moment that finished, that was it. I was off, and that's why I went to East Anglia because um, the thing that that advertised it to me was they'd had a university sit-in. Um, you know, from the student union, and they sort of rioted, mm-hmm. and that sounded like the place for me. You know, rebellion. I was a rebel. I was, you know, I was a naughty boy. I mean, I, you know, did everything. Um, I wasn't about to go and go to Oxford or Cambridge because I figured that it would be just the same as as Harrow. Um, you know, and it was. But lots of you know, you, you had to get come back and climb over walls to get back in. You know, in the in the evening, and there were all these people telling you what to do. I mean, the great thing about UEA was, you know, I had a car. I lived on a houseboat. Um, I was free to do what I liked whenever I'd liked. If I didn't want to turn up to lectures, I didn't. Um, and I joined the Drama Society day one, and I did plays. You know, I did one play, at least one play a term for three years. And at the end of that, and I thought, yeah, this is what I want to do. And um, so then I took another year off, and that's when I went down with Judy, and we helped my pa start the, start the farm in, in Devon. And then and I went to America and drove tourists around America. and uh, And then... Uh, and then I went to drama school at Bristol with Daniel Day-Lewis as my flatmate for the first year, um, which was great. <laughs> <laughs> so this uh, approximately what year are we now when you're at, at drama school in Bristol? Um, I can never work this out. You put me on the spot. Hang on. 70, 76, I went to Bristol. And I left in 78. Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. So it's 1976, long, hot summer. Yeah. Um, what was Bristol like then? What was it like being the, the flatmate of Daniel Day-Lewis? Well, I mean, you know, he wasn't Daniel Day-Lewis then, of course. You know, three <laughs> Oscars, he wasn't. He was Dan. Um, mm. And it was him and me because his, 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 my father knew his mum and they said, oh, look, you know, our boys are going together. Let's see if we can get them a flat. And so... They organised that, and um, yeah, it was me and Dan and Judy, my wife, um, who wasn't my wife then, um, and two others in the flat. Um, and yeah, Dan and I used to do silly voices. Um, we used to be characters all day. We'd wake up, and, you know, be Irish for the day or something, and, <laughs> uh, 
and he and he, he and he was we used to go running and he's he's very very fast runner that's something maybe people don't know about that he's an incredibly quick runner um we'd be go off you know jogging and he'd say right race you back and he'd just be off i wouldn't see him for dust and i'm not slow well uh, i am now because i'm 64 but i wasn't then um no, he was, he was great. But the, what's so weird, you know, is that there we were. There was Amanda Redman, um, Jenny Seagrove, Nicholas Farrell, um, oh God, Miranda Richardson, um, Alex Jennings, you know, and all these people. They were just students, you know, that, and one had no idea who was going to, to make it. I mean, it really wasn't apparent. I mean, for absolute sure, at the end of our two years if you put Dan up and you know with all of us you wouldn't have said that Dan was going to be the one that got three Oscars you really wouldn't he was good you know yeah he was good but a lot of us were good mm -hmm. and a lot of us have have succeeded some well, some of us have succeeded and a lot of us have fallen by the wayside due to nothing more really than bad luck you know that's the, the awful truth about it is that you can get lucky. You know, you, you can just, get, I mean, look at the arches, for instance, that was one day I turned up for an audition, um, you know, to be in the arches. And I'll tell you, here's a little secret that nobody knows. I was talking to Kim Durham the other day, uh, who plays Matt Crawford. Uh -huh. And he said, he said, so mm -hmm. he said, I don't know if you know, Tim, he said, I was up to play David. So yeah, David could have been Kim Durham and I could have, I could have wow. been Matt Crawford, you see. <laughs> it could easily have happened. So, yeah, that little thing that happened to me, that got me lucky. In fact, the thing that, that was lucky for me was um, when I when I left drama school, there's a thing called the, the, the Carlton Hobbs Award, which is offers a um, six-month contract with a radio repertory company and an equity card. Um, and there are two winners, and that's, that's, they, they enter um, two people from each drama school. Uh, in the country and I got into that and I won it and uh, if I hadn't got that I wouldn't have been on the radio repertory company and then I wouldn't have been up for David Archer so it was it was actually the Carlton Hobbs award um, and mm. I didn't actually win it it was somebody else who won it and they turned it down um, and if they hadn't turned it down life would have been very different you know so it's these little tiny things these tiny things that happen that change your life how different do you think life could have been if, if you weren't David Archer back in, you know, in 1982? Who knows how different life would have been if my agent, Louis Hammond, hadn't given up the business because I was, you know, I was doing well. If you look at the book, when you read the book, you'll see I was, you know, I was on, I was on the path to stardom. I was getting better and better uh, jobs and better and better work. And, you know, I, I wasn't, I have to, to be absolutely honest, and I'm quite truthful about this, I'm a much better actor now than I was then. I didn't really get it then. I didn't really understand what good acting was. I was I was good at, I, you know, I looked mm. all right and, um, and I spoke my lines all right. And you can get away with a lot by doing that. But I didn't really get it. But I was on the sort of path to stardom. And then this guy, Louis Hammond, gave up the business. And then I went with this, he, he found me out to this other agent who just didn't get me at all and kept putting me up for things that I wasn't going to get. And so the telly and film career sort of, you know, sort of faded a bit. And then the archers and voiceovers, I was earning well. So, you know, I was sort of, I wasn't desperate to get to get back into the telly world. I thought, oh, well, this is a bit of a dip. It'll come back. 
and and that stardom part hasn't come back. I mean, I've worked, you know, continuously in film and television, but not as a name. I never cracked that thing of becoming a household name. And that, you know, once you've got that, then you're then you're off. Then it's easy, really, because you just go from job to job. But it's interesting because you have an incredibly evocative and British voice, even if people don't necessarily associate it with, with your real name. What what did you learn? What have you learned in your later acting career um, in terms of how to perfect your art? What what have you gleaned? Uh, what you what you've got to realise is um, about acting is that the camera uh, the camera doesn't lie; um, it sees you completely. And so, in a way, uh, acting is the wrong word for it. <laughs> and it's taken me most of my life to kind of realise this um, that you can do acting you know perfectly well in front of the camera and get away with it but actually to really um understand what the whole thing is about it isn't acting i mean it just it just simply isn't you have to be it you have to inhabit it and think it and and um change yourself in a way that you are no longer the actor you are actually that person um and get inside it and inside it and just then don't do anything <laughs> just don't do anything um, it, you pull faces on the camera, um, it's it's always going to look wrong because it's it's always going to be phony. The, the reason why your face does something is because you've thought something. And going back to the teacher at uh, drama school, Rudy Shelley, acting is the art of reacting. And so it is about reacting to whatever's going on, um, not with your face, but with your thoughts and everything else will follow. And some people are you know, brilliant at it and I'm trying to achieve that. And I had the opportunity recently in a, a film I had I had the lead part in. I was a gay, eccentric duke in a film called The Dead Dog, which is um, in final production now. It should be out soon. So um, I look forward to more opportunities of, uh, of being able to do that. You know, without blowing my own trumpet too much, hand on heart, I'm, you know, I'm good at it now. So that's, it's, and, and, it, and, and, you know, you can tell when you're good at it because people raise their eyebrows and they go, blimey, you know, so that's, that's nice when that happens. You do that to me again and you are finished. Through. Get it? Sorry, sir. Yeah. You get me three miles out of position. Three miles. You drop the missile lock, not once, but twice for pity's sake. And you're sorry. Perform like that in action, mister. You won't be sorry. You'll be dead. John, word. Not now, sir, please. Another problem? What do you mean, another problem? I've been checking the maintenance schedules. Do you know how many jets your people are breaking? Now, there are two more unserviceable now. Yes, sir, there are. You are dangerously close to your budget. They are tired. They are pushed. And they're going to be pushed some more. This is make or break, you know that. My responsibility, create a team, sir. Yes. Don't blame them. We're sorting a crack outfit. This is not flying school. Or coping, are they? Does does Judy know when you've had a good day at work? Does yeah. Yeah? Yeah, she gets it. Yeah, she really does. And she understands. I mean, there's Judy making, you know, she makes these most wonderful hats. And she's allowed, I mean, she literally just, she just created a new collection of something like 10 new hats, which she'd spent the last two weeks doing. And there she was working away and then she went and had a photo shoot and she came back and showed me and I went, bloody hell. 
Those are wonderful works of art. And I look at her hats as being not just something you put on your head. I look at them as being three-dimensional sculptures. You know, they're, yeah. they're wonderful works of art. And so, and she gets frustrated with her work because, you know, it's, trying, it's difficult trying to make a living out of that because, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it's, it's difficult. There's so, there's so much competition. It's difficult. But she has artistic outlet in a way that I... I kind of sometimes get frustrated and depressed about the fact that I don't, or I can't do because it's first world problems because I earn, you know, decent money by doing a lot of very silly things in front of a microphone, like being a, you know, witch hunter general or an orc or something. And, you know, you turn up for a computer game and they do give you a buyout and you earn, you know, quite a lot of money doing that. But um, I don't, you can't really say that's, you're artistically satisfied. So it's nice when you do, you know, it's nice when you do get your chance to get your acting chops going and do something good. So you've made David Archer your own, you know, heaven, heaven forfend that, you know, you were to fall under a combine tomorrow. They're not going to recast him, you know. I hope not. That'd be impossible. Well, I hope not. I, I got a, there's an article in the Telegraph yesterday because I, would, I said something at Chichester about about you know about Hugh um, Kinnear Jones going, and it, and of course, typically with the press, you know, there was Paddy O'Connell asking me questions, and there was this other woman up on stage called um, Cara, who yeah. written this written this book about the kind of the intellectual philosophical philosophical background of the Archers, and we were having a discussion about it, and somehow or other. Now, I was trying to defend Hugh and saying, look, he's been headhunted by ITV, you know, and if, you know, put yourself in his shoes. If somebody comes along, offers you a really nice job and better money, you know, you'd be, you'd be bound to take it. I was trying to defend him anyway, somehow or other. I managed to say it wrong. And the Telegraph basically reported it as though the conversation was all me, as though I just volunteered this information. And then I got a call from Hugh and, you know, thank goodness, he's a really nice bloke. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He said, no, 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 it's all right. He said, no, no, it's fine. So I get it, I get it. He said, just, you know, you've got a lot of stuff to do now. He said, just be careful. I said, mate, I am not going to mention the editor of The Archers, you know, ever again. Um, so, I, I mean, yeah, I hope I got away with that. But, um, you know, it's a political minefield sometimes with all this stuff. And it's not my, it's not, it's not my job to comment on that. I'm just the actor. <laughs> How restrictive has it been um, for all these years, having to play David Archer, be, be honest. You, you, you describe to me the freedom, the love, the joy that you can get from, you know, really building a character from its bones, from, you know, uh, the dead dog. Mm. That seems to me diametrically opposed to turning up, um, what, three, four days in the month uh, for 40 mm. odd years and to deliver somebody else's lines yeah it's a it's a different brief you know but with david um i'm i'm always always trying to make it sound you know i'm always trying to improve him i'm always trying to improve the performance i'm always trying to make it to make it not just i've got these lines to say and to find why he's saying them and to respond to what the input to him is there's the reason why he says it and to understand why he's being like that that therefore he says it you know and it's the same thing as he was talking about about acting it's you know i'm trying not to pretend i'm trying to make it so that that's how i would say it you know um 
irrestricted in, in, in the sense that in radio, you can't leave the kind of naturalistic um, pauses and the rhythm of natural speech. It doesn't, you, you do that too much. It, it, it's out of kilter with what everybody else is doing. So you, you can't do that too much. Mm. But you can do it a bit, you know. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't say, yes, I mean, in that sense, what you're saying is that it's restrictive. Yes, but there's still an opportunity to be able to create within that, you know, otherwise it would be awful. <laughs> it would be, it would be, yeah, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be fun. Um, and also, you know, heaven's sake, it, 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 it's, I'm very lucky uh, that, that I've got this, you know, this regular thing. And also it's led me to all sorts of stuff. You know, I wouldn't be doing the travel journalism if it hadn't been for the, you know, Frank Barrett, the editor of the mail on Sunday being an Archers fan. Um, you know, things lead from one thing to the other thing to the other thing. You know, I have, I have, as I say, got, got my own frigate, you know, uh -huh. HMS, HMS Portland. And they go, I went down there for the commissioning of it. And they said, it's your ship, my Lord. And I, you know, I mean, obviously it's not, but <laughs> I mean, clearly, clearly it's not. Um, but that, the fact that they said that, then I've just always said, you know, yeah. You know, so that when any anybody comes up and says, oh, yeah, I was on, I was on, you know, with Charles Collingwood the other day on, uh, on this one, you know, on somebody's yacht, you know, it's about the size of a, you know, of a cricket pitch. You know, saying, yeah, well, mine's the size of two football pitches. It's nuclear armed. It's got a helicopter, mate. <laughs> yeah, so we can have fun with that bit of banter. But no, they're great. They're, they're, I mean, I, I take my hat off to the Royal Navy. They are an extraordinary bunch of people. Most of them are, you know, not most, but about 40% are girls. And like 17-year-old girls are down there in the bowels of the ship manning the defence of the of the ship 24 hours wherever they are against incoming Exocet missiles. You know, that the, there are these 17-year-olds. These, these I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary. Yeah, amazing people. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
you don't just have a diverse haven't just had a diverse career but you've also um have a whole load of other kind of professional strings to your bow um and i suppose one of them which i think is kind of interesting is that you um bit of a computer programmer um, yeah she's kind of somewhat kind of dovetailed into um your kind of persona online so how the hell did you learn to write software back in the 90s where did that come from was that a case of you're a jobbing actor you needed to have other strings to your bow or how did you fall into that no it wasn't no no it's because i'm it's because i'm i'm a you know i'm a boy (laughs) (laughs) i'm you know when i was at school i used to wire up the lights you know with sellotape and you know nearly caught that whole thing caught fire i i i built myself a a a console next to my bed which would operate all the lights in the in the room and also i tried to operate it so that it it wired up to a uh, an electric motor from um from a washing machine in, mm-hmm. and uh, to, to to be able to open the curtains in the morning um things like that you know i've always tinkered and always made and always you know I, and i like working with tools i like working with my hands i mean i've got a you know tool shed full of full of tools my my favorite shop you know is a, a ironmonger's or a you know wicks or I mean, that's I like making things, and so when it came to translating that desire to make things into things that you could do on a computer, then I was it's all crystal my mill, and it all started with an Amstrad actually, an Amstrad PCW, a piece of programming called LocoScript, and then there was uh, which is a word processor, and then there was another program called LocoMail, which was a mail merge, and once you've got that, you basically you've got an if then clause because you could do a thing like saying here's a database and there's ticks next to Chris you know a box called Christmas so you could do a thing saying if Christmas equals ticked print label so mm-hmm. once you've got a once you've got an if then cause then you then you've got a computer program because every pro every computer program you know is that's all it is it's on off you know it's digital so it's either it's either or and then you nest either or so then you go if and if and if, and then you give you know these things, and all these classes are fulfilled, and then you round that off, end if, end if, end if at the bottom, and then you got a th- three-way nested clause, and with that, that's incredibly powerful. I mean, that's enormously powerful. The things you can do with that, um, and so I just saw you know what you could do, and so I started using LocoMail to program um, silly games because. You'd, I'd do it with um, like a quiz. So you'd ask questions with multiple choice answers. And then at the end of that, you'd say, well, you're this kind of person. And I used to amaze my friends. You know, they go, how oh, did you do that? Yeah, and that's yeah. fun. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so it's that's and then I bought a Scion PC, uh, a Scion uh, organizer. And that's got a, a programming language called OPL, which is um, very, very high end. Um, and um, and I started writing this thing called conversion calculator. Um so Which, I suppose uh, the, the thing is then, Tim, are you truly a lovey or are you a nerd? I'm a nerd, man. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm not a lovey. You know, if I were a lovey, I'd be on stage. And um, I look at my contemporaries, you know, the ones who are on stage and they love it. They absolutely adore being on stage. And I've, you know, it's 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 scary, mate. You know, it's scary being up there and trying to remember lines at the age of 64. I've... I'd, I'd say I'd much rather. I mean, in terms of a, a lovey. I mean, if you mean by being a, a you know a fully actor thespian, no, I'm not. I mean, I'm a move. I'm a film actor, 
and I'm and I'm good at voices and I'm good at acting, um, but I'm not. I'm not a thespian. I'm not one of those, you know, shouting in the evenings. And I couldn't, I couldn't live unless I were on the stage and getting my applause. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not, man. I mean, I would be much, much happier at uh, building a brick wall, you know, and coming back with my knee, with my knuckles bleeding, um, and and covered in covered in plaster and mud, and you know, sit there with a beer and a cigarette and look back at what I've made and go, I did that, you know, I did that. That's that's the best. That's the best feeling. Or you know, or creating. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a creative. Somebody said, talk to me about Julian Fellows the other day because he came to the book launch because I kind of know. Mm-hmm. Somebody said, aren't you jealous of Julian's, you know, massive, massive wealth? I go, not in the slightest because he did it all because he's a creative. He did it all by writing. You know, everything he did, he did because he contributed something to society. He created something that made people happy. You know, he wrote a film. He wrote a West End musical. He wrote books and things like that. And he made his money. Good luck to the man. Mm-hmm. The people I, the people I, you know, I've got friends who go went into the money world and bankers and things like that. You know, all right. You know, that's your job. That's what you want to do. And you know, and they've come out of it as multimillionaires by manipulating money. I couldn't think of anything worse. I mean, obviously, apart from having the millions, you know, that would be nice. <laughs> but the way of making it, no way. God, no. Just the idea of spending your life dealing with, with money. It has no appeal to me whatsoever. I I like to create. I like to make things, you know, and I think you get, you get some satisfaction out of that. Ruth? Ruth. Oh, leave me alone. Ruth, can't you? Please tell me what's the matter. Oh, God, just, just leave me. Ruth, I'm staying here. I'm not leaving this room until you tell me what this is about. I can't. can't. Come on. Come on, Tommy. Sit up and look at me. No. Sweetheart, I can't leave you like this. Whatever it is, you're going to have to tell me in the end, aren't you? So why not tell me now, eh? Come on. Look at the state you're in. Tell me what it is. I know it's bad. It's been going on for so long. You've been bottling it up. You've been locked away in your own little world since... Since the weekend, since... Well, longer than that, since... Since... Oh, no. Oh, my God. Ruth, please don't, don't, st- Ruth, tell me if it's, it's not, Sam? Oh my God. Oh my God. I'm sorry, David. So sorry. So, what, what, when's, how long it... What happened? What did you do? Nothing. I didn't. What do you mean, nothing? Did you or didn't you? I never slept with him, David. I promise. So what? It's the truth. I didn't. You've been... You've been having an affair? No. No, not like that. So were you in love with him? Tell me. I don't 
Tell me! You must have been. Or why all this? Yeah, okay. Okay, maybe I was. Oh! Oh! God! You and Sam, how, how could you? How could you well, even I, think... I, I didn't want to. I, I didn't mean to. And I thought you were having an affair with Sophie. Oh, no. That's no, what I no. thought. No, no, no. You knew it was nothing like that. How? You spent all that time with her. Oh. You kept things from no, me. No, no. You are not blaming this on me. And all that time, Sam... Sam was there. He, he listened. He cared. And... And then he what? Then he told me he loved me. Oh, God! I didn't ask him to do it. I didn't want him to. It just, it just happened. <sighs> yeah, but you could have stopped it then. You could have said no. You could have walked away. I know, I know, but... But, but you said you loved him too. Do you still love him now? Ruth? No. No. Oh. I love you, David. I do. I do. You. Kids. Oh, really? So... So, why? I mean, if that's true, how could you even... I, I how could you know. even think? I don't know. Oh. I, I was upset. <sighs> Confused. I... I thought you were sleeping with Sophie. Oh, oh, right. So that makes it all all right, does it? Well, maybe if you've been around more, oh. if you've not spent so much time messing around No, what? no, no. No way. You can't do that. You can't blame this on me. You get a stupid idea in your head about me and Sophie and you think, OK, fine, you can go off and have an affair with the cowman. No, no, it's not like that. I didn't. But you did. You love him. You lied to me. You cheated. But I never slept with him, David. I promise. No, so what about last week, eh? Tuesday night. No. He was off too, wasn't he? Both of you. That's where no, you no, were. No, I wasn't. But you weren't with your friends, were you? You weren't with Laura. That was all a big lie. Well? No, I... Well, I, come on, I know. Yeah, yeah, I went to meet Sam, yeah. but... Yeah. I, I couldn't do it. It was all wrong. I, I came back again. No, you didn't. I went to Usher's. I couldn't come back here, so... Oh, so I went stop back it. To stop it. Stop bloody lying. But it's the truth. I, I didn't stay with Sam. Never. I couldn't... I... him? Oh, God. And all those lies. It's finished, David. It's all over. I stopped because I love you more. You and Pip and Josh and Ben. Yes, I was wrong. I did some terrible things, but I, I didn't want it. I gave it all up so I could stay here and be with you. So please, please, don't be so angry. I understand. Well, it's too late for all that. No, no, it isn't. After this, you think we can never do the same? Yes. Yes, we could. Can't you see what it's like for me? 
All the time we've been together. All those years I've trusted you. I never even dreamt Please, that you'd betray me. All this time I have been so scared that your cancer had come back and now suddenly I find out but that Sam's you've gone. been... It's over. It won't happen again. I promise. Promise. Ruth, you lied to me. You were in love with Sam. You still are. What else is there to say? So just before I let you go, Tim, um, yeah. you're going to have to tell me about your groupies because you, <laughs> you have a legion uh, of ladies oh, come on. who probably all live in the home counties who uh, <laughs> who formed the David Archer Appreciation Group. And um, <laughs> I told them last week that I was interviewing yeah. you. Right. And uh, a lot of them got all unnecessary and they have some <laughs> questions, right? Now, first off, Carol King says, I've just got to mention her. So uh, Yeah, no, Carol started it. I'm, and she's going to come and see me at Buxton, I think. she's uh, No, she's all gone all a flutter, haven't you, Carol, darling? You're going to come and see me. <laughs> Can't wait. She's going to have, uh, she's having her hair done. So I'm going to get my hair done too. Wow. <laughs> now, um, Jean, I'm going to run through these very, very quickly. Yes. Uh, Jean Bell says, ask him if he's noticed that we think he and Ruth favour Pip over the boys. And will he please let Ben out of the cupboard? Thank you. Yes. No, I, I, I totally agree. I actually said this the other day. I thought I said it's been, you know, Ben <laughs> has been very quiet indeed. And the reason for that is purely practical, is that um, he was he was cast for a, for a while. Um, lovely lad, Thomas Lester. Thomas Lester, I think. Um, sweet boy. And he was really nice. Well, what the thing what they do is that they what they don't do now is allow child actors to kind of grow in and become adult actors because mm. they think it's unfair on people who've left drama school, you know, and have gone and put their money where their mouth is and want to be an actor and want to be professional. So they cast adults as adults. Yeah. And they, it's a new, it, you know, it used to happen that a child actor would turn into one. And it sometimes it just doesn't work. And so what they've done is they've, they've <laughs> effectively, as you say, put him into a box. <laughs> Poor lad. I mean, it is extraordinary how quiet he is. Um, but very soon, I should think, maybe probably in the next year, they will cast him. And, uh, and, and, and I'm really looking forward to having two sons because it'd be, you know, and a, and a daughter, you know, I'm missing him. Uh, it's much nicer if you've got three, you know, if you've got three children, I want to have a family dynamic. I want to have, you know, the five of us. Um, so, you know, think, you know, just hang on. He'll, he'll, he'll come there. And at the moment, in terms of favoring Pip, well, heaven's sake, I mean, how, you know, Josh has just become a pain in the ass, isn't he? So, um, <laughs> of course we favor Pip and she's been through it, uh, but we do hope that she gets rid of the ghastly fair brother. <laughs> Lucy Brown sounds like a cousin of mine. Yeah, she yes. says, uh, Tim, what has been your favourite ever storyline? And would you like David to toughen up and stop giving in to Ruth? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I couldn't personally, if it was Tim there, I couldn't cope with that. I mean, I simply couldn't cope with it. I just think David, you know, this is, this is off the record. Well, I suppose it's not really. Um, but yeah, he, um, I'm not that kind of a guy, you know, and Judy's not that kind of a woman, you know, we don't have those kind of 
misunderstood relationships. I've got a, I've got a lovely relationship with my wife mm. where if I um, where if I behave badly, she has a bloody go at me and tells me to stop it, you know, mm. and like and and vice versa. I mean, she doesn't. The great thing about Jude is she does. She's never nagged me. You know, she's never she never has. And I really respect that. So, um, you know, and I love her. Um, and with David, that we've got this woman who has a go at him all the time. And and you might have heard in the past sometimes when the script has got Ruth having a go at David and you hear me and my lines, you know, could be played in many different ways. You hear me come straight back at her, you know, and 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 my my dander is up um, because if it were if that were the reality of it, we, you know. David can cope with it. Tim couldn't. Tim Tim would be divorced by now. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. But it makes, you know, the thing is, I mean, what I'm hoping for is that this all will kind of, as it were, come out in the wash. Um, and that, um, you know, that the scriptwriters will realize that there are kind of, that there are, from my point of view, there are, there's tension still um, as, a, as regards Sam because of the amount that she lied to him during that thing. I mean, I, find, I think, you know, in real, in all honesty, a relationship where you've got a husband and wife, uh, where a woman, where a woman or oh, a man, I'm sorry, where anybody lied, lied that much. Mm. And for whatever you might say about Sophie, David didn't lie about anything. He didn't. But she did. She actually really, really, really did lie. And what? And, and to go back to your original question, what was your favorite storyline? Is that because mm. um, because of the complexity of it? And, and, you know, all actors like to play um, subtext. You know, a lot of the time in the arches, you're not playing subtext. You're playing what you see is what you get. You know, there's the line. That's it. That's all there is. But what's what we love as actors is that when you say something and you don't mean it, you know, that, that, and yeah. that's that's the fun. And um, so with 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 Dave, with David and Ruth, the whole thing about Sam and the, the hurt from my point of view that David had was that he thought that the cancer had come back, the breast cancer had come back. And that was why she was behaving peculiarly. And that when, you know, and that's why when he went, when Sophie was there and he was, she was a, she was an ear to, to, for him to talk to. And there was no, no, I mean, really and truly, there was no thought of a sexual encounter with Sophie in a million years. And he didn't, you know, he didn't love her. She was just being nice to him. And because Ruth was being distant mm. and, um, and he didn't know why, because, you know, he's not an emotionally complex guy. He's emotionally quite simple. So he didn't get it. Um, and and he thought the, the, Ruth, the, the, the cancer had come back. And so when that held that whole scene, which is uh, I put it up online, um, where he where she you know, says, I'm in love with Sam. It's a double whammy for him, because not only has she lied to him all the way through, but he thought that she was dying and it's nothing to do with the cancer It's the fact she doesn't like him. She wants to go and screw somebody else. You know, <laughs> that would hurt, you know, that, that, that would have destroyed a relationship. And from my point of view, David still is still suspicious, you know, underneath it. And he needs, he needs double reassuring. He needs, you know, double doses of love to make him, to bring him back into the fold. You know, that's how I'm playing it anyway. I mean, it's probably not written like that, but, you know, you've got to have something underneath it, haven't you? So there you go. <laughs> Just before we go back on to uh, David Archer Appreciation Society questions, because there's still still a couple more to come. Um, yes. How has your re professional relationship with Felicity, who plays Ruth, 
developed throughout the what the 30 must be 30 years you've been 30 years now yeah, yeah it is yeah. well it, i tell you it's been great i mean i'm very very fond of the little thing and she is tiny after all <laughs> no she's great she's she's an extraordinary woman all you know she's so she's got such courage she's all the um, uh, journalist stuff abroad, um, you know, and doing you know, costage training and stuff. She's she's an ex- she is extraordinary and, and very very hardworking and great fun funny. But the the, the denouement of that was that just recently we were on holiday in Paxos, and when I said to Flick we were going, she said, "Where are you going on holiday?" I said, "Paxos." She said, "You're joking. We're going there too." Um, and she and her partner were going to the same island in Greece as we were. We overlapped by one day, and we went out and had um, dinner on the, in this lovely restaurant outside by a harbour. And you know, wine was taken. And normally, we, you know, even if we do have dinner together in Birmingham, it's you know, we're doing the job. And we're talking about work and mm-hmm. and that. And um, and you know, it's just a kind of a quick one, and we can't have too much to drink because we're working the next day. Well, this one, no, no, no. We just it was a proper Mediterranean meal. You know, it went on for a long time, and lots of courses and lots of wine. And uh, Judy got to know Felicity, and she'd you know only ever met her kind of fleetingly in parties and things like that never known her and she came and she said she's sweet and they got on like a house on fire and i got to know felicity better as well because she was relaxed she was you know in holiday mode and so was i and we had a bit like a mormon with your two wives no christ she's an actress you know (laughs) (laughs) be daft not in the slightest bit you know no she's a she's a mate she plays a part you know Mm. it's nothing to you know there's nothing 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 like that at all no right um i'm not protesting too much either because you know no (laughs) (laughs) and when she she wants i mean what was so nice about her getting to know judy better is that judy got pissed off with her once years and years ago Mm -hmm. where she she introduced um she introduced herself there was judy and she said oh, i'm tim's other wife and judy got just furious and that oh, so, yeah no 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 you don't you know i'm david's wife that's you know come on come on separation of reality and fiction please <laughs> <laughs> brian entwistle yes said, brian i know yes hello yes, brian he would like to know a little bit more about your time on wagner's walk playing cliff edwards alongside well, Carol Boyd and Shirley Edwards. Yeah, no, Brian came up with this, and he I saw it on the on the, the group, and um, he reminded me. And do you know, I'd completely forgotten, because my sister Anna had been in Wagner's Walk. She actually mm-hmm. was in quite a lot of episodes of it. And I, he made me think, I will remember when I was on the radio rep, after I'd left drama school, I was on the radio rep, and like you do, you you know, you you do something like four plays a week. I mean, it was extraordinary, the output you did. And I remember now that one of those things i just got pulled in as you know a character in i don't know whether it was one or two or three maybe episodes of wagoner's walk and because i didn't you know didn't listen to the archers and it certainly didn't listen to wagoner's walk it didn't mean anything to me it was just a series yeah. um but now you remind me i, I went yeah actually yeah, that's true and somewhere because i keep the front pages of the script somewhere <laughs> It'll <laughs> be that <laughs> that front page. So the answer, Brian. I'm sorry, mate. I don't remember a thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Last question. And, yes. Uh, this is less of a question, more of a um, an invite. Sue Bridges asks um, whether you have any plans to visit New Zealand. She's obviously where she lives. Norman painting kindly hosted my fiance now husband and me at the studio in 1982 i'd love to replay the hospitality of 
if you if Tim was to head our way. Uh, plus, oh, Ambridge man. has kept me sane in my happy place during the thousands of aftershocks of our earthquakes in Christchurch. Oh, oh darling, gosh. Oh, yeah. And, and you've obviously promised us somewhere uh, for a copy of the book. So she's, uh, she says, okay. I hope it's been dispatched. So uh, are you going to New Zealand anytime <laughs> soon? No, but you missed me, you know. I can't do New Zealand. I only do Australian because that's where I was born. Um, no. Well, oh, God, you missed me. We were down there. I went down there to um, before the um, uh, before the last World Cup, and we went and did a tour of all the all the rugby stadia in New Zealand cause with, this was with my journalist hat on, mm-hmm. um, and I wrote I wrote an article about it. Um, that's when I threw myself off the off the Sky Tower in Auckland, um, and yeah, I had a had a great time and um, as you probably know I'm, a, I'm an absolute rugby nut and we nearly stuffed you we nearly stuffed you <laughs> jeez wow a draw oh just one more you know just a drop goal just a drop goal and you're going to say yeah but you shouldn't have got that reverse penalty at the end but you know hey you've been stuffing everybody left right and center look what you did to the aussies recently and we held you at least to a draw and we were a match for the for the all blacks and it was cracking cracking series i thought it was great so watch out come the world cup because uh, we've got eddie jones in charge of england and uh, it's i mean if it's not an england new zealand final then the, you know it's no justice but i'd love to i love new zealand i thought it was great it reminded me of tassie actually it's a similar kind of place you know it's temperate and um mm. it's full of some you know full of some good people I thought, I thought, you know, just straight up. So yeah, but uh, no, I'm no plans at the moment. But come over here, and um, yeah, if you want a book, you know, I'll sign it. But you've got to buy it. I'm not because I just, I, you know what I do? They say to the, the publishers, give me ten free ones. So I've gone to them, my family, and then I had to buy. I bought thirty, and I get them for half price. So I get them for ten quid. So I had to pay three hundred quid. Had to pay three hundred quid for my own books, and then people are going, "Oh, you know, give us a book." I go, "Mate, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to make yeah." And other unusual ways of earning a living. One of them is um, writing an autobiography. Why? Well, because I might earn some money from it, you know. So I can't really give them away, but you can have it. Have it for a bit cheap, gone. But no, you're gonna have to pay for it, darling. And I'll send you a nice label that you can stick in it, okay? Especially from me. <laughs> but you you don't just make things, Tim. You're a very good observer of humanity. You know, any actor has to have that um, that facet to to their armory to be able to observe. But also, one of the things that always strikes me about you is you can observe and also mimic. And I've been waiting for the last hour. Yeah. Uh, to ask you about where this amazing um, ability to uh, to do accents actually ca- comes from. When did you discover that you could uh, do a voice, sir? Well, I've got this lovely. You know, I've told you my mum died when I was thirteen. I've got this. The only recording of her, and it's of me. Exp- it's, it, it sums me up as well. It's me explaining to her how our new Grundig reel-to-reel tape recorder works. Age twelve. Um, and so we've got the microphone. And I'm saying, then this is this is this is the microphone, and this is how it works, and these are the two speed. Well, why? And she's saying, well, why would you want to have it on a slow speed if you know? Well, because it's the quality of it, you know. This is me, age twelve, you know, we're talking about bandwidth basically. Mm-hmm. And and she's had a glass of wine, and she's and she was, you know, she should have been an actress. There, she she's she's singing and she's talking about Shakespeare and she's saying do you know that at this very moment Richard Burton is on stage and she goes quote Shakespeare you know lines and lines of Shakespeare 
And then I take the mickey out of her and we start to do Peter Cook and Dudley Moore voices together. I'm being to play the cock and she's being thing of that day well. Um, and we're doing it together. And that, that one tape recording reminds me of what I used to do with my mum is that we used to do be silly people together and you used to ad lib and improvise and and um, and do voices and that's really where it came from that was it that was what started it what did your mum want you to be what is it or what did she think you were going to be I don't know man <laughs> I don't know and there I was on bloody BBC breakfast this morning and Naga went in and I said we were a dumpty dumpty click family which is one of the things I always say because my mother hated the programme and so I didn't know about the Archers when I went and auditioned for it and um, and she said well what would you know and what does your mother think now <laughs> it was on live TV I mean to go well unfortunately she never found out you know she never she, I mean I, I managed to say it quite quickly so um, but you know, she died when I was 13, and I got the arches when I was um, 30, 30, 31. So yeah, you know, and I said, well, I'd, I'd have brought her around. Um, I don't know. I mean, she would have loved it, you know, if she if she'd lived, she would have loved the fact that I'm an actor, and my sister's an actress as well, you know, and so she would have loved that as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're done, sir. Dumpty Dum has been um, a thing now for some three and a half years and you have been the one um, actor of, of the show of the, of the Archers that has come on the most so I'd like to thank you for that but also um, in in part our monumental success has been in part down to you because on episode one um, you gave us a lot of credibility by actually giving us your um, your Ambridge reggae piece of music. Oh right, did I? Yeah, yeah. you heard that. Yeah, yeah Ambridge yeah, yeah. time. Yeah, Ambridge time. Yeah, Ambridge yeah, yeah. time. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, you, you've got to play in. Um, the, have you seen the video of me doing uh, taking the Mickey out of uh, Jeremy Clarkson? I, I thought you were him. <laughs> isn't it incredible what they've done i mean they took that thing i wrote that 10 years ago and this guy said oh let's go do it i went down found myself in this in this very cold village hall in kent with a green screen mm-hmm. and i just mimed to it all and he put that whole thing together i mean it's absolutely it's a brilliant piece of it's a it's a it's a pop video um it's great yeah so um uh, I see. what are you going to do you want to want me to you, you're going to ask me to, to to write another reggae arches yeah. Thing again. <laughs> <laughs> An updated one. Ding, 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 ding. Absolutely. The great thing about it was because it's on the offbeat, you know. It just lends itself to it perfectly, doesn't it? <laughs> You're a man of many talents, you. Hey. Tim Bentink, thank you for coming on to this very special Dumpty Dum. My great pleasure, Royf. And I will see you soon and everybody else. And thank you very much indeed for for listening. And um, love you all and particularly the David Archer Appreciation Society. (laughs) (laughs) This is a song about Ambridge. It's a strange place, Ambridge. Some might almost say unreal. But the strangest thing about it is that every day, at any time, day or night, we hear this tune. 
or one like it, coming at us out of the sky. And when we hear it, we know that five million people are listening to us. Boy, does that have an effect on our behavior. But isn't it a catchy tune? If a little different, I hear it on the tractor in the afternoon. I hear it when I'm having my tea. I hear it in the fields, I hear it in the barn, but I hear it most of all in the kitchen. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry shampoo, Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.